you bet with Nick and Ken. And his name on Twitter is Marchie Soonerson, but he's going to have to change it because Marchie Marchi is here. So Marchie oh, Nowerson, yeah. Marchie's Harrison. We need we need a new chain. So on the Roman guest line, our guy, Ken Barkley of You Better You Bet. Ken, how are you doing, sir? Oh, man, it was a little showy over so I'm doing a lot better than I was about four hours, four hours ago. I got to change that name. Thank you for the reminder. Not a problem. I'm usually on top of that stuff. That was That's a really bad job by me, to be honest. I'll it's take okay. the L on that one. It's March is a crazy time of the year, man. I can I can understand. I'll give you a couple hours to adjust your name on Twitter. Anybody that changes their name on Twitter as much as you, you should you should get a grace period. <laughs> well, I'm trying to be it's, – it's about being – whatever the name is is like a reflection of current events. So it's yeah. like every time you go to the Twitter handle, it's like you're – you know, you're in the moment, whatever's like current, whatever's going on. So, so I, 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 I think Johnny you're Johnny Moranterson. Wow. I was just I about to say that. Can I, can I, can I jump in based on our little uh, debate from last night on in regards to that, Q? Oh, sure. So, okay. Oh, what was the debate from last night? So, I don't remember. So she's so, going to remind me now. So me, Even better. Thanks. So, okay. So Jaw goes absolutely bananas last night, right? Mm-hmm. And the Spurs are a fun team. I love DeJounte Murray, but I don't tune in. To anyone more than I tune in to Jaw. It doesn't matter who the Grizzlies play on a night to night basis. I don't care. Just the sheer amount of electricity coming off of his body and soul is enough for me to tune in. Wow. That was in, like metaphysical. Yep, yeah, it was. Cool. It was. So we had a little bit of a debate. And in Dame's prime dumb, so we're not talking this year's Dame, we're talking on a night to night basis, Jaw now versus Dame whenever. On a two on a Monday in the middle of February, who do you think is more exciting to watch? Oh, I think it's Ja. I yeah. don't even think it's close. I'm sorry. Me uh, like I so I, but there are two different questions, right? So it's the question you asked, which I think was a very carefully and intelligently crafted question, is like who is more fun to watch? So like that's a different question, right? So uh, you know, I was listening to a bunch of NBA pods earlier and it was like you know, a guy was making a point like Baron Davis was one of his favorite players to watch. Like nobody would have made the argument that Baron Davis was like as good as like Kobe or something. Right. But but like maybe Baron Davis was more fun to watch night to night than like, you know, the, the Kobe that was taking 35 shots a game or something like that. Like it's, it's like a different question, right? I think Ja is clearly the most fun player to watch it, it, like in the league right now. I'll get, well, I'll give you another one because everyone's been making this comparison. And if Ja goes on to an MVP this year, this is the comparison for him, which is Derrick Rose yeah. MVP year. Like, that's the, that's the comparison. Like, basically the only two guys that have come into the league won MVP that early in their career. And obviously, like, Rose had the injuries and all the stuff that happened after that. But in the moment, Rose was posterizing guys. People forget that. Like, his explosiveness was insane that season. Like, that's the comp. So it's really, like, I think Ja versus Dame. Like, I think Dame in his prime maybe was a better player. They were both just amazing players, kind of first-team all-NBA caliber players. But Ja's, like, the types of plays he makes are more fun. Yeah. Ja versus Rose from that season is, like, really, really tough. People who remember that Derrick Rose year, that's, like, it's, I mean, it's, it's not watching a mirror image, but they're very close in terms of just, like, the insane amount of exciting plays. And Twitter wasn't even that big when mm-hmm. Rose was having his MVP year. It was just growing. So NBA Twitter hadn't fully, like, locked in yet. Yeah, I, I don't even really care to argue that again because I love John Morant. So if he can continue to do this, I have an MVP ticket in my pocket waiting for him to be the, mis- the most right, valuable I mean, and exciting player. Right. Awesome player one, awesome player two. Who's yeah, more that's awesome? fine. I just, well, they're both awesome. That's the best part. My only, my only thing was I feel like it was disrespect for Dame because we haven't seen him in so long. Like when Dame was shooting really? from 30, logos and all that stuff, like everybody was freaking out. Like, Damian Lillard is freaking nuts. And it was the playoffs, which I thought was, like, a little disrespectful to Ja. I love Ja, like I said, but. 
Yeah. He waved to Paul George to say goodbye for winning a series. Yeah. Like, Jaw hasn't done that yet. No, yeah. like, Jaw ja was in the play-in round, and then he played Utah. That's yep. all he's done so far. Yep. Yeah. Um, before we go any further, Ken, this is a live sports gambling show, and I know you have some bets for tonight. You Can you give out to the people what you have in maybe the NBA or college hoops in tonight's slate of games? Yeah, so they're – oh, well, this is actually really good timing. I was just looking at the clock right now. Um, the Celtics-Hawks game is about to start in, I don't know, like six, seven minutes probably, probably about like – 7:40. That'll tip off Eastern time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about 10 minutes to go. Uh, those are actually my the two bets that have not tipped off yet for tonight are both for me in that game. Uh, I like the Hawks and I like the under in the game. And this is more about the specific. There's two things in play here. One, the specific matchup between these two teams. Uh, of all of the games the Hawks have played so far this year, by far, I would take two of their three, four best defensive efforts. And there have not been many great defensive efforts for the Hawks this year, but two of their better ones, like really their two best ones almost, were each of the last two times they played the Celtics over the last two months. Some of that's because of how the Celtics play, struggle to kind of like move the ball and create a lot of dynamic offense. So the Hawks can't shut down a lot of people. They can shut down Boston. Last time they played, they allowed, they, I think they scored 105 time before that under 100 Boston in that game. So I think the difference between these teams, not, not big. I also think Atlanta is one of those teams, okay, like, teams that have struggled versus expectation um, entering the final 20 games of the season. Are there reasons this team could turn it around? And in Atlanta's case, it's all about defense and they want to tell you it's all about effort too. To me, if that's actually the case, then we should see their defensive rating in the final 20 games, at least get back to league average. They're like 26th right now, I think in defensive net rating, something like that, or defensive rating, I should say. Um, if that gets remotely better, then this number is kind of crazy. So I have Atlanta as kind of like a play-on team down the stretch, and then the game goes under the total as a byproduct of them playing better defense. The only gripe I had with the Atlanta side in this one was the fact that John Collins is out. He's the second-leading sure. guy on the team in their defensive win share. I do, I did want to take Atlanta, but, man, Boston without John Collins, like I think that you need somebody to guard Tatum or at least stand in front of him, and Collins and Clint Capella are their two best defenders. After that, it's, what, DeLon Wright, who hasn't played, like, We've played 55 games, hasn't started any games, and then you got Bogdan Bogdanovich, which nobody mistakes him for a defensive stopper. So that's the only gripe that I did have in that game. I think Tris is on the over in that game, too. Yeah, so. I think you're on You're on Boston. I'm, I'm on Boston. On the yeah, we're all against so each perfect. other. Perfect. Oh, yes. awesome. So we all hate each other. <laughs> so that's it's, right. uh, yeah, I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> what do you like? Well, I, I, uh, I like the opposite of whatever you guys. And it's like, <laughs> no. I, all right, well, like. we'll let you go then. Right. <laughs> so we were we were talking last night a little bit about Gonzaga and Arizona. And which team that has the most pound-for-pound talent versus the experience to win it all? Can you compare and contrast in the March Madness lens which team has the edge in terms of like how far that they could go, who they could excel against, and then who they could see in the tournament that could just take them out earlier than expected? Sure. Yeah, I think – and I think he's probably targeted – you know, I mean, I think Gonzaga by any – poll or any consensus opinion is the best team right now i think there's like a pretty big difference between them and everyone else so you know whoever you pick to be second i think arizona is a worthy choice you know baylor or kansas or kentucky would be would be worthy choices too um the thing that arizona has that they have going for them is just incredible balance and like gonzaga has balance partly because of who they play but arizona has incredible balance despite playing like obviously in a conference it's a little bit tougher pac-12 a little bit better than west coast i think this year even though the west coast is better um, against quad one teams, Arizona's insane, and Gonzaga's also really good. So even in, like, games where they get challenged, in the non-conference, both of them, like, stepped up in class and won a ton of games. Um, so their, their resumes are both, like, impeccable, honestly. The thing that the tournament can do, though, that's very interesting, so I'll kind of give you, like, a knock on both. One, one I kind of believe a little more this year and one I don't. So the knock on Gonzaga is when they play in close games, 
it's like an unfamiliar skill for them, basically. Mm. So when they play in close games, it's like, well, think about it. Like, you know, you guys host like a four-hour show about live betting. If you had to do like a two-hour morning news show all of a sudden, I could be like, well, I mean, it's still radio. It's like still the same thing. Yeah. And you'd be like, well, no, it's like totally different. Like I'm still talking into a microphone, but the skill is completely different that's required to do those two things. Okay, well, like Gonzaga can play against Pacific all day for 40 minutes and win 101 to 62. That's something that can happen. But like close game situations, it wasn't great against Duke, and it wasn't great against Alabama in non-conference play, and they really haven't played a lot of close games in conference play. So I'm not saying they can't win. They made it to a final twice with Mark Few. They made it to the final last year. But, like, it's interesting that it is a different skill, that the NCAA tournament presents different types of games than what Gonzaga would see in the regular season. Like, that's a fault for them, even if, you know, they have a really talented team. Arizona's problem is there just none of these people involved in the program have been have sniffed a big game in their right. lives, yeah. basically. So, and when you have those collections of players, one thing about the NCAA tournament that's really fun that I'm not sure people realize is it's not really a one-year exercise to make the Final Four or win the title. Teams that come together just in one year, like coach, players, program, culture, that can't really develop to win a title, or at least it's never happened before, that it can't really happen in one year. So, like, teams don't teams don't get worse than Ken Palm and then win the next year. It's like a building over the course of, like, two to three seasons of, like, culture and program. And then, yeah, you can have star freshmen, but, like, it's got to kind of mix with something that's already there. Arizona's weird because they had that, and then they lost it, and now they have it again, but it's totally different. So I just – I. I'm not sure what to do with them. I think lack of experience in a tournament game is going to be a big deal for any team. Now, maybe they're so talented it doesn't matter, but each team kind of has like a, like not a calculable thing against them, just like almost a, a weakness that's, that's hard to put together with numbers. Ken, uh, actually, no, excuse me. Let me tell the people that we're joined by Ken Barkley of You Better You Bet, uh, Monday through Fridays, 3 to 7 p.m. Eastern time here on the BetQL Network. Ken, I'm going to ask you a question that everybody's asking us on all of our hits here as a part of the uh, Odyssey and BetQL family. Who is your Cinderella this year? Like, I just have to ask you, my team, of course, I'm all the way down here on the board. Give me Towson. I love the Towson Tigers. I'm going to say their name until the cows come home. Also, our producer right now, P.J. Glasser, loves Alabama. If Towson takes on Alabama, P.J., you guys are screwed. Trust me, the Tigers are going to the top. Um, who's your Who's your Cinderella this year? Or just a team that is just really, really low-key, of course, flying under the radar. Everybody's trying to find, find the next uh, fighting sister jeans. And, uh, of course, i got to ask you that question. It's customary this, this time of year. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, – so I'll, I'll interpret that as, like, mid-major conference team that can be in the tournament and, like, do damage. Perfect. It's, yep. like, a really good way to think about it, right? So there are a couple that stand out. Uh, a lot of people will point to the Mountain West as a conference that can produce a lot of teams like that this year. I think people really like Boise. I think people really like Wyoming. Um, I'll just tell you, like, I try to run, like, a bunch of different parameters to narrow potential field for, like, who, if they made the Final Four – would it, like, not be a statistical outlier? Like, it would fit with all the Final Four teams that we've had, so, like, VCU and Loyola hey, and all Ken, those Ken, Cinderella's. Yeah, I'm yeah. so sorry. We ran up against the clock. Can you stay for one more segment or at least half a segment to finish your thoughts? Yeah, sure. No problem. Our guy, Ken Barkley, will be back here at BetMGM tonight. We were up against the clock. So, Ken, thank you so much for sticking around for a little bit longer. Uh, back to the original question, just a Cinderella uh, team that you're looking at back here in March Madness. I heard that you had, like, a – your model and this, that, and that. I'm like, I was very interested. We started and then, to panic a little bit. We could hear the music, <laughs> yeah. and you couldn't, and it was like everything went out the window. And I was like, he's not well, even let, halfway let into this thing. Right. Sandman getting him off the stage. I'm like, no, this is the best part. Stick around. So, sure. No problem. Of course. Basically, you know, I try to figure out, okay, like with the likely tournament field, 
past Final Four teams, like their stat profiles. All right, like who in the field would it make sense if they made the Final Four this year? And as you can imagine, like it's a pretty big group. We're not talking about like 10 or 15 teams. It's probably like a third to maybe 40% of the field. That still narrows a lot of teams down. I'll just give you a couple of teams that are kind of like outliers that would stand out to people where they'd be like, wow, really? Like that team if they made the Final Four? Um, one team that I'm like, kind of infatuated with if they make it, well, not if they make it, what, to see where they're seated is Colorado State. So they play in the Mountain West Conference. Uh, a couple things they have going for them that other non-conference teams don't, or other uh, mid-majors don't. Their non-conference schedule was extremely impressive. So they beat Creighton by double digits. They beat St. Mary's, who it turns out is awesome, by 16. They beat Mississippi State. So they have, like, a lot of test games in non-conference. They passed all of them. The Mountain West is actually really good this year, so they've been able to get tested against Boise a couple times, San Diego State a couple times. Like, that's really promising. Their stat profile is really good. If you're going to take a mid-major to make a deep run in March, a team that's going to be a dog in games, I always feel like you actually want that team to be kind of lopsided. You want them to be really good at either offense or defense, something that can actually like give them a leg up on the teams that might, they might actually be playing against. If you're just kind of balanced and mediocre and whatever, and you're a mid-major, like that's not so good. I want balance at the top, like yeah. Gonzaga, Arizona, but if you're a mid-major, like you got to be really good at something. Like Abilene Christian had the number one defense last year. That's why they were able to beat Texas. Something like that. Loyola, when they made the Final Four, they had the number one defense in college basketball that year. So that makes a lot of sense, right? Colorado State is insanely good at the offensive end. They also have a coach, Nico Medved, who basically like kind of might be one of like those guys. Basically like took over, I think he was at Furman, uh, had like a weird like one year at Drake, but basically took over Furman, completely turned the school around. Then basically ended up at Colorado State. They sucked completely turned the school around. That's his entire coaching experience. Like he might be like the next guy that might be kind of awesome. And anytime you can get like the up and coming coach, this is the best version of his team by far. This is year four of him coaching. They're really good at offense. Great non-conference. They kind of check all the boxes. They'll be in that seven, eight, nine, ten range. So maybe a team that like gets past the first round opponent, draws a two in the second round, plays them a lot more competitively than people expect. Interesting stuff. And you talk about balance. I wanted to get this question out, but, you know, it's always nuggets from you. So uh, I didn't know if I was going to get to it. So every national champ since Kem Palm was founded has finished top 40 in offensive efficiency and top 25 in uh, defensive efficiency. There's only 13 teams this year that fall into those two categories. Arizona, Auburn, Baylor, Duke, Gonzaga, Houston, Kentucky, Michigan State, Nova, Texas, UCLA, UConn and USC. Do stats like this sway you at all when you're making your model, or is this kind of cherry-picking? So I think uh, I will say, so I, this stat is regurgitated by a lot of people, mm-hmm. and, like, I, regurgitated makes it sound like it's bad. It's not, right? The idea is, like, the teams that are really good in this, in like, Ken Pomeroy's rankings win a lot. Um, so in that way, like, it is predictive. Like, the better teams are going to win more often than the bad teams. But I think one thing that when I was first learning about, like, stats and setting stuff up and everything, like, and, and projecting, like, not to put teams in really, really sharp boxes where, like, nothing outside the box can ever happen. Like, no one can ever win that's not outside the profile. Because, like, 2014 UConn is basically the, the, the thing that disproves all things about what a champion can be statistically. Okay, well, like, going into that season – how many people do you think were like, well, no one's ever finished outside the top, whatever. And then UConn happens and we're like, all right, well now we got to expand the box. Now the box has to get bigger. And then Baylor last year plays atrocious defense down the stretch. Baylor had the worst adjusted defensive efficiency, 44th of any team ever entering the NCAA tournament in the Ken Palm era. So we would have looked at Baylor last year and been like, can never happen. Like has never happened before. Mm -hmm. They don't fit in the box. 
they have a worse defense than anybody else. But they also had COVID, and they had players missing, and there was, like, a lot of good reasons why their defense was poor. So I think, like, what I've, what I've learned to do is I've, like, just kind of got more comfortable with the material is, like, I, I use all of that stuff but I'm, like, mindful of the fact that it's still, like, probability. Like, okay, these teams are more likely, like, balanced teams, more likely, teams that are good at both offense and defense, teams that don't have weaknesses, teams that have good quad one wins. Like, these are all teams that are more likely to win, but it doesn't mean that we have to completely exclude all the others. It's just about creating a probability, and that's what the, the prices in the market are, right, too. It's the same thing. So it's kind of comparing those two things rather than saying, like, these teams will win and none of these other teams can't win. Can every time we have you on our show – we are winners. It's predictive. 100%. Can't happen any other way, Ken. And we thank you so much for joining the show for not Thanks, one, Ken. but one and a half segments. Our guy, Ken Barkley. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. That was our guy, Ken Barkley of You Better You Bet with Nick and Ken. Weekdays here on the BetQL Network, 3 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Roman Guest Line. Get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. Go to GetRoman.com slash BetQL now to get $15 off your first month. That's GetRoman.com slash BetQL. QL.